Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight, episode 30. Hard to believe, Ben, 30 weeks already. <laughs> Seems like it's just gone by in a heartbeat. Uh, but tonight, all seriousness, we're going to be talking a little bit about hunting during, or sorry, being in the woods during hunting season. Um, so there are some special considerations we want to kind of get across there. Uh, so some considerations about yourself, your campsite, uh, even just walking around the woods and being respectful. Cause I mean, even if you're not a hunter and you don't participate in hunting, these people are still out in the woods and they're still doing, as long as they're following all the rules, uh, a little bit of wildlife conservation. Cause in Nova Scotia, a lot of the licensing and stuff like that is designed around conservation being in mind. Um, so yeah, Ben, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hunt, uh, and, uh, you know, I, my father was a hunting guide. I think I've mentioned that in the past. So, I mean, I'm not against hunting or anything. I don't hunt a ton, but there's definitely a concern I have when I'm out in the woods. And I've heard a lot of people talk about this. Some people avoid the, the woods in the, during hunting season because they are nervous, uh, of hunters. Um, and I think the first thing we're going to talk about, I guess, is, is, Bright clothing, I think that's the no-brainer everyone talks about, like a bright vest or a bright orange hat. Uh, I mean, those things kind of make you visible. Um, and uh, somewhat safe. Uh, you want to be somewhat, and, and this is the one you want to be somewhat careful of. If you're aware there's a hunter around, loud enough that they're aware of you, but not so loud that you're just driving animals away and, and making everyone less comfortable. I think you'd be you agree with that, would you not? Yeah, and, and we just kind of briefly touched on that before we went on live. I mean, hunters are in the woods; uh, they're just there to do their thing, right? Most of them, I should say. There, I mean, there are bad apples, but there's bad apples on the camping, bushcraft, survival side of things too. But the majority of guys, they're just out there. Uh, they want to get some meat to put in their freezer, for lack of any more explanation. They just want to go out. They want to have a good, respectful hunt. Do what they need to do and come home and though we're like bushcrafters or just woods guys and generals and gals uh we may be out there doing our thing we still have to be respectful of them doing their thing as well and hopefully they'll reciprocate that as for us yeah the thing i noticed around here more so than i noticed in newfoundland is you have a lot more stationary hunters here guys who go in and set up a blind or set up a, a tree stand and uh so here it's a little easier to kind of identify where they'll be. Like you drive down the road, you'll see their cars parked. It's usually pretty obvious that they're, they're going in. They, they don't travel great distances from what I've seen. They're usually only a few hundred meters off the roads really to their, their spot. They, uh, they have their lines of sight kind of figured out. Um, I grew up with a lot of guys that walked a lot. They'd go in, they'd park and they'd walk the road. They'd walk over a mountain or walk across a bog hoping to see stuff. Uh, they were a little harder to identify, but usually you'd, you'd almost see them before they'd see you, if you know what I mean. Like, And that's, that's it used to be like that here a little bit. Uh, there was a lot more people that uh, stalk hunted, but like you said, lately it's become a lot of um, blind hunters. They set up a blind, they use bait apples, something like that, and they they don't move around a lot. I think that's most in part just due to the woods in Nova Scotia being um, cleared out a little bit for developments and, and just the woods shrinking in general. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot of uh, factors in there. I think also like I was used to people hunting deer and caribou or not, yeah, caribou and moose. And they're, I think it's harder to blind hunt those where deer you can dry in with bait and stuff easier. Uh, and they tend to do more of a, a circuit from what I see similar to, you know, a rabbit. So, I mean, that's the type. You also have your small game hunters that they travel a little bit different. Oftentimes they'll have an animal or something with them, a dog or, uh, and you have your, your, your waterfowl type hunters. You'll find them uh, usually near water or well, a big hopefully. <laughs> big fields are also popular. That, that's field. true enough too. Uh, so that's the kind of thing. But what we're talking about is, yeah, make yourself bright and visible. You, you want them to be able to see it. Um, the other thing I think we're going to move on. Well, camo is not your friend. It was a joke we had made. I don't know if we posted anything along those sure words. Sure, it's the title of the episode. Camel, so, maybe not your friend. If if you're invisible, and this this is a real thing, I, I've I I have a few stories over the years that I've heard with this where if you you're well camoed in the woods, some people don't always think and they'll shoot first and ask questions later. If you're camoed up in the woods and they see something move and they think it's they may assume it's what they're hunting because. As they say, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When you have a gun, everything looks like you, you, you gain. Uh, and unfortunately, I, there is some truth to that. Yeah. Uh, I, I love to think that everyone out there, you know, knows what the shot is. They know what's on the other side. They really think the shot's through. I, I personally think that I do that. I, I assume that, that most people do, but some people don't. Yeah. Some people will shoot pretty quick. <clears throat> And uh, not to pick on any groups of people. My father, as a hunting guide, used to tell stories, and he'd say people from certain countries were way worse than other countries. Uh, I think you can figure that out if you, you know, personality. Now for us to judge, we'll leave it directly at that. <laughs> but there are certain types of people, whether it's geological or anything else, that are a little bit more gun-happy than others, and you, you do want to be careful of those. Uh, and be aware that that's a possibility. And uh, from there, we want to talk a bit about uh, campsites. Uh, if you are in camping, especially, I mean, myself, my hammocks are pretty invisible. Most of my tarps are pretty camouflaged. They're coyote brown or they're yeah, dark. Yeah, all black and tan and stuff like that, too. Great colors for hunting season. I mean, my mech one is candy apple uh, green. It's as bright as... As day, but most of them are, are pretty hard to see. So if you're going to camp in hunting season, you might want to think about flagging the ends of it, you know, maybe hanging up a, your vest or something in the area if you're, if you're just sitting around camp somewhere high to make that very visible. So if somebody walking through the woods and sees some motion, they, uh, they may not assume it's something to start sighting in on you. You got anything you want to add to that? Um. So we have mentioned marking twice and something I was going to say there a second ago and I completely forgot, but I'll come back to it. Uh, so the most common color to be in the woods and mark anything with or the accepted color is blaze orange or hunter orange. So if you go into uh, Canadian Tire or any of those big box marts, go down the hunting section, that orange color you see, that's 
supposed to be the standard recognized color to do not shoot when you're in the woods. So if you want to wear some clothes or sorry, if you want to go out during hunting season, I would recommend getting like uh, a hat and a vest at the minimum that's going to stick out when you're wandering around and when you're marking your campsite, as we're talking about now, uh, orange colored flagging tape, if you can just get an orange tarp and even put it over your own tarp or over your tent or something like that. Something that's going to be very bright and stick out that basically shouts out, Hey, don't shoot in this direction. Uh, our search for rescue gear. I mean, I'm search for rescue is that's all hunter orange, bright, bright orange. We call, we joke that we're pie, pylons, right? Like big orange pylons. Through the woods. Uh, and that's that's for various reasons, but it makes us very visible uh, pretty well year-round. So when we're searching for someone, we can usually tell our, each other apart and uh, make sure that if somebody's lost, they can they can potentially see us if we haven't seen them yet. So anything to, to I'm going to uh, throw a real quick story in there because it's only two seconds, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag on this. Being on the other uh, or on another side of first response, being in the fire department, do you yeah. know the nickname we give you uh, generous fellows in the ground search and rescue? No. Okay, so, like I said, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here, and it may be an old term, so this may not be everywhere, but Schneider Eggs is the, <laughs> the, the nickname we have given ground search and rescue in the past. It's not common anymore, but I do remember it when I first joined the fire department. That was a common term thrown around when ground search and rescue was around. And Schneider Eggs... Uh, if you remember an old trucking company, Schneider Trucking, all their trucks were bright orange and black. So you get the uh-huh. uh, Ground Search and Rescue and basically head to toe orange, and then their boots would be black. So yeah. y'all got nicknamed Schneider Eggs. And I apologize now sincerely for that, but it was hilarious at the time, and I'm not even going to deny that. Uh, we've, we've all called someone something we probably shouldn't have been the best. Eh? <laughs> well, it wasn't <laughs> insulting. It was It was just a reference to something else. I don't think Snyder's was around Newfoundland. Not not like that. Okay, so it may just be a mainland term here then, too. I haven't seen the company around in ages. I, uh, Day and Ross is running the same colors now, and I have no idea if they switched over to that or not. But anyway, I digressed off that. But yeah, cute little story. Schneider eggs used to be like, and I'm talking 13 years ago, 14 years ago, used to be a common term for ground search and rescue. But yes, bright colors in the woods. Interesting thing of note, a lot of people who wear camo for, like, big games, especially deer, caribou, moose, uh, I'm not sure, so sure on bear personally, uh, but I assume bear are probably similar. They're mostly colorblind animals and don't see your camouflage any different than they would bright orange. Uh, they see motion really well. And uh, silhouette. Silhouette. You're far better yeah. off wearing your street clothes and hiding your silhouette than going in in full camo and looking like a person standing on the horizon. I've yeah. known that as well. And I told you a story at one time about my father. He used to hunt uh, as a hunting guide. He'd wear the the yellow rain suits, and they called them the school bus. And uh, when he'd see a big animal, he would get up and sort of wave his arms, and the animal would almost always stop and look at him. And that gave the hunter a pretty good shot at the animal. Uh and it was just a bit of a joke. I mean, some hunters got pretty upset because they spent a fortune on camel gear, and here's their guide, you know, in day bright yellow. Um, so I I don't know if camo is really as necessary as, as some people make it out to be. But I'm not uh, a big believer in camo, in all honesty. But 
on the market of, or on the market of camo there like we said you probably don't want to do your campsite or even your clothing up in camo during hunting season because you're going to blend into your surroundings more and one if somebody is going to take a shot on something they're not going to see you behind it and two yeah. they may just see you walking through the woods and they're not 100 percent sure of what that motion is and like you said at the start unfortunately there are a handful of people out there that could potentially shoot first and ask questions later not saying yeah. it's right just saying it does happen yeah and and i've said this before about a lot of things being in the right and dying doesn't make you any less dead yeah. <laughs> uh, sure, right. You have the right away on the road, or you have the right to walk down a trail, but if somebody shoots you or someone runs into you, you're still just as injured, just as, as dead. Uh, so sometimes, you know, taking that extra precaution and not pushing your right of way or your, 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 your legal right, uh, it's just going to protect you. Uh, to, don't expect it everyone's going to always follow all the rules perfectly because they don't No, That's, not in the slightest. And as a motorcycle rider yourself, you, you can really appreciate that as well. Right. Oh yeah. But, uh, just, there's hardly a day on the road. I figure I couldn't ride off a vehicle if I wanted to and never be a fault. Yeah. In all honesty, I, that's a hundred percent true. I usually have to adjust for someone else's fault, but the reality is I won't be any less injured if I'm in the right of way. Um, so, uh, the other thing I think we want to talk on, I'm just going to push through here. We can come back. I think you have any more stories, but, uh, traps. Uh, and I think I mean, you spend a fair bit of time in the woods, especially with, I mean, there are a lot of traps we can't expect to be out there. There are steel traps. I don't know if they're used as much. I know that changes every few years. Uh, but like, especially near, uh, I think there's one out by my cabin right now, uh, beaver ponds mm-hmm. and stuff. You can see this, the trap underwater. You might see a, a wire coming from a tree and usually into the water. Uh, uh, it's designed to catch the beaver and keep them underwater, I believe, is how it works. Yep. Uh, be really careful if you're walking near a beaver a dam or a beaver, uh, I call them huts, um, because there very well could be a trap down there. If it grabs your leg, you, you know, it's going to hurt. And it may prevent you from being able to get out of the water yourself. Uh, and uh, on land, is it bear traps? Are they, are they used at all anymore? They, no. You know what? The old-fashioned bear trap is kind of a, a taboo now. Like the old ones you've seen in the cartoons with the big teeth on them, those have always been illegal. But uh, the big body-gripping traps is what you were mentioning with the beavers. The way they work, or the way trapping is supposed to work is you're just supposed to hold the animal until you can get close enough to it to ethically dispatch it so no traps are actually designed to try and crush or anything like that the ones that hold them underwater is a body gripping trap the beaver one you're talking about and it'll squeeze on the beaver and as it exhales it just kind of compresses in and it doesn't allow it to be able to breathe back in and it suffocates underwater so it's probably one of the more Crueler ones by definition, but apparently there's research that goes along that says it's really not that bad. But I'm not going to make an opinion on that. That's not what this is about. Everybody can make their own opinion on that. But that's how those are designed to work. But you're still right. If you were walking through a marsh or something like that, or well, not a marsh, but like an old beaver run or something like that, and there happened to be a trap there, there is still a potential that you could get your foot in it and get yourself hooked up into it, and it may cause you some problems. Yeah. Uh I have also, and I've seen this, um, 
I mean, I've usually seen them smaller ones for rabbits and stuff, snares, but I've also seen them, and they're made of, like, aircraft cable that have stopped moose. And, uh, yeah, if you walk into one of those, you'll probably be able to figure out how to unhook it. It's not going to really be that bad. But if you come across a moose that's in one of those snares, if that's got 10 foot of line, it's wrapped around his antlers, you will see 15 feet diameter of forest just totally tore up that thing trying to get free. And if you're in that, that arc, uh, haven't helped you. I tell you. <laughs> and that's a very good point. Like, uh, another thing we're going to touch on is, it, if you see animals that just look like they're behaving not like they normally should, like something's just not right, especially during hunting season, it's best to give them a wide berth because you never know what's happening there. As Ben said, if it's caught in a trap, uh, it may be really cranky and peeved off, and it's it's not going to react the same way as if you just seen it in the woods and nothing was wrong. Uh, if it's It might be an animal that was uh, somebody shot it just a few seconds ago. And it's just running and it comes to a still and you know what? It's still freaking out. It may come after you, something like that. They don't, I think you summed it up best. Uh, what was it you said? It was a good term and I was trying to remember it. Now I can't remember it. Anyway, <laughs> bottom line is they're not going to, they could potentially not react the way you're expecting. They can be extremely unpredictable. I mean, it, it's an injured animal. It's, it's potentially scared. It's got its own adrenaline running. So it may react in any way, completely different than you expect. I mean, it, it could just lay down and, and, and die, or it could lash out at you, or it may run away. Uh, knowing that it's it's injured, it may know that it probably can't outrun you. So now it's its options is, there's no longer the, the you know, was it the fight? fight, fight. fight? Well, if flight's been removed, guess what's left, right? Um, so... Be extremely cautious of any injured animals you do come across or potentially injured animals, especially, like you said, during hunting season, because that's when there's a higher likelihood that they have been shot at or injured or even if they didn't get hit, may have injured themselves in, in the uh, in the flight and, you know, injured a leg or something. Now it's it's slowed down. It's it's panicked. So uh, I, I, I can easily picture like a a deer or a bear being in a, in a pretty awkward situation. Um, and you'd have to deal with it. Well, what I can think of, and I've heard it a couple different times is, um, a hunter may be out doing their thing and they'll see like the antlers of the deer come up and it'll just be their head exposed, which honestly is not a good shot. Cause if you can just yeah. see their head, that's too small of an area that you shouldn't be taking a shot on that. But once again, you get these people that do and they'll just end up like shooting an antler off. Apparently that enrages a deer and they just oh. go absolutely ballistic for hours. That's got to hurt like a... Well, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. That can't be fun. But I mean, no. it could be as simple as that. The deer would be okay, but he is going to be absolutely PO'd and yeah. he is not going to want anything to do with anybody. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, so... Lost the other... Deer. Go ahead. <laughs> going, going through our list here, right? So we've covered bright clothing. You know, you wear your bright clothing. Mark your sights where you're going to be. Um, be aware of potential traps and stuff. You know, it's just common sense in a lot of it. Um, 
Camo not being your friend is the thing. First aid was the other thing we wanted to talk a little about. Um, it's I think it's always important to carry a decent first aid kit, but when you're you're in the woods during hunting season, maybe a little bit more essential because well, I mean you have the the, the horrible risk of potentially getting shot at or coming across somebody who has been injured because um, there's more people in the woods. And if you have a first aid kit, whether it's for you or for someone else, I mean, we, we carry it for both reasons, I believe, you may come across someone who's who's injured. Um, and I don't want to blame everything on guns because guns aren't always the problem. It could just be someone who's in, in trip and injured themselves. Uh, but there's, there's that one extra element that adds to it is, you have people in the woods with guns, with knives, uh, could be cleaning animals, could potentially slip and cut themselves or whatever, and or you just be startled and and, and uh, off balance and have injured themselves. So having a decent first aid kit to, to deal with the standard injuries and the maybe more extreme ones uh, is an awfully good idea. Anything in particular you think we should be carrying there, Robert? Um, so you kind of covered all my points, so you took most of the words out of my mouth. But, yeah, the main reason I would think of for a first aid kit is just the extra people in the woods. So the potential of somebody else being injured, like you said, is going to be higher. And worst case, you're going to get a gunshot wound. So if you normally carry like a small first aid kit with band-aids, I'm not going to tell you what to put in your first aid kit, but what I will say is if you normally just carry like a small first aid kit with just a handful of band-aids in it, you may want to upgrade to something that maybe has uh, a couple compression bandages in it, um, a triangle bandage, because they can do a lot of things. If somebody fell and sprained their arm, dislocated a shoulder, and it's easy enough to do if you're trying to pull a deer out of the woods, you can at least help them out. Uh, compression uh, band-aids got multiple uses, doesn't have to be for a gunshot wound. But it can be, it can stop a large amount of bleeding. Like you said, somebody could just have slipped, doesn't have uh, good knife expertise, and they were cleaning an animal in whatever way, and they sliced something really bad. You have that compression bandage to jam onto it, and a couple rolls of gauze. And all this stuff really doesn't take up that much space, ultimately, in a first aid kit. And worst case, you can use them for other things, like compression bandages make great fire starters. They're 90% cotton. Um, and you may think, okay, I don't have compression bandages. Well, that's fine. Uh, there's other things you can use. Something you may have around your house if um, you have a significant other or know somebody is women's pads. They <laughs> they make an okay compression bandage. Uh, don't think that they're going to replace a proper compression bandage because they're not going to they're not designed for the same effect. But they will work as a kind of compression bandage as long as you wrap them up. But uh, leading on to that, one of the things I wanted to dispel, and I can, I know somebody out there is going to hear this and they're going to think it, and I'm trying to put it to bed now, is tampons do not plug bullet wounds. They're not designed to do it. It's not a good idea. You're actually making things worse by jamming a tampon in a bullet hole. I'm just putting that out there now. <laughs> the other thing you might want to not do is try to pull the bullet out. No. Leave that to the medical professionals. And once again, I guess that's a good thing to touch on is if you don't have the proper training, do the best you can to stabilize the situation and get that person to where there is medically trained staff. 
Um, you don't have to think you know everything. Like if you have even the slightest hesitation, I'm a, a trained medical first responder and I've, I've kept it for a long time. And if I can do anything to get that person to better train staff, I will go out of my way to try and do that than try and attempt something that I'm not 100% comfortable with. Because it's just that much more expertise. Like, if you can get a uh, paramedic there, get them out to the woods where a paramedic can get to them, they're going to have a much better chance than if you try to, like, stitch something up in the woods yourself. If you can slap something on it and get them out, that's your better idea. Well, um, and they, generally, they're going to have better equipment, too. So exactly. it's not only it's knowledge and equipment. So, so they're really, they are the better choice by far, you know. And, and the other thing is, if you haven't taken it, um, even if you don't hunt, it's a good idea to maybe take the hunter safety course. And I'm not telling people to go out there and waste money, but it, it, it is a decent course to have if you're going in the woods for any reason. It gives you some basic knowledge about guns, hunting, things like that. It'll at least give you the mindset a hunter should be in so that you can better appropriate, I don't want to say react, but coexist with them in the woods. Uh, I know a lot of us bush guys and gals, we tend to do a lot of outdoor activities, so a majority of us probably do hunt, and we already have that training. But if you don't, and you have no interest in tra uh, hunting, that's cool. That's that's you. Everybody can do what they think is best. But I still recommend taking the hunter safety if you ever had a chance. And I think you can take it online now, and then you just stop at a natural resources, or I guess it's uh, lands and forestry now, and just take the test. And I think it's like 30 minutes and 25 questions. It's actually pretty simple and it's not that expensive and it's great knowledge to have. And oh, yeah. also it's worth picking up a copy of um, the hunting regulations. You can download them from online. I think it's novascotia.ca forward slash NATR forward slash hunt. And that'll bring you to the hunting page. And then it's down in the bottom right corner will be the regulations for the year. And that's going to tell you when the seasons are, uh, what people can take out in the woods, things like that. It's just going to once again, give you, that much more information you don't have to hunt yourself but knowledge is cheap and easy to store yes oh yeah um yeah and i think you kind of touched on something that i wouldn't mind talking a little bit about it's a little awesome there, there is some misconception that like all hunters are outdoors people i have a buddy who loves to hunt spends a ton of time in the woods he has very little interest in a lot of the stuff that bushcrafters have interest in he he goes out, he sets up his blind, and he does his hunt thing. But that's the limit of really what he does. And when we're in a room together, a lot of people look at him as being a very woodsy person. He'll he'll tell you, turn around and tell you right away, no, no, I'm a hunter. I'm not an outdoors person. Ben is an outdoors person who happens to do hunting. He's a hunter who happens to be outdoors. Hmm. Uh, and there's a big difference um, and I think you hit a good point. Like a lot of bushcrafters do do some de degree of hunting, but not all of us do. Some of us have very little interest in ever taking an animal's life. Um, and the closest thing they'll get to shooting an animal is with a camera. Um, and I think some of us would be very content if that's all we ever did in the woods, take a few pictures of animals, right? And, and trees and sunsets and stuff like that. We enjoy the the overall experience. Um, that's just kind of my two cents on that. Like just, you know, there is a difference and we're not, we're not exclusive or inclusive. It's just a difference. Oh, uh, for I, sure. It's just another, it's just another way to get in the woods. Right. And it may, yeah. uh, what's whatever floats your boat. I think that's the term. And you know, hunting doesn't float everybody's boat. 
but being in the woods may float their boat and they may have nothing to do with either one or vice versa. Maybe they love to hunt like your buddy did or the fellow you knew there did. And they're not too keen on doing the bushcrafting thing. Like they just want to be in the woods only for the sole purpose of hunting. And once that's done, they're done. They want to get out, get back to their home where it's cozy and all that stuff. And that's just what makes them happy. But ultimately they're still out in the woods, enjoying it for what they're doing, be it hunting, be it camping, bushcrafting, nature, walking, photography, whatever the case is. And I think the only important point I would put out there is the more we can respect each other doing that and allowing people to do that, I think overall, and maybe I'm just bleeding hurting here, but maybe overall it would give a lot more respect to the woods in general and people would understand to keep the woods better off in general because everybody can enjoy it. Because I know myself on the bushcrafting side, I've been chased away from places with a gun just because it was their hunting area. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't even have my bow with me today. I'm not interested. I'm just walking through. And I've literally yeah. been chased out by people pointing guns at me like, nope, this is my hunting spot. You get out of here. I'm going to start shooting. And I'm like, it's just not worth it. And that's the other thing I guess we should mention a little bit um, about going into the woods during hunting season. There are some extremists on there and that comes with everything. And yeah. the best thing you can do is just, Yep. All right. Move on. There's no sense getting your haunches up because, as Ben said, there's no point being dead right. Yeah. And they may not even go that far because most people are all bark, no bite. But you never know. No. You, it's not worth taking the risk. Um, and we said about taking a first aid kit for additional people on the trail, unless you happen to happen right up on top of them and offer them assistance. If you see somebody out in the distance and you think they may be in a little bit of distress, it's always worth giving them a shout, because once again, people in the woods, same as anything else, they can be a little, they may be panicked, apparently my fax machine's going to go off, but uh, they may be a little panicked because they're injured, they know they're in the woods, it might be getting late, give them a little notice you're coming up on them, you don't want to startle them, they may make things worse for themselves, they may make things worse for you, or the other side of that, and the dark side of hunting, is it could be a poacher or something crazy like that. And the last thing they want is somebody coming up on them. So just a quick, hey, how's it going? Do you need some help? And they'll let you know. If they say no, cool. Beat the feet yeah. and have off the off in the way. Because you never know what... Like, there's people out there that do really weird things. The news is full of it every day. Yeah, and some people are out there to be alone. Some people just need that time away from people and don't want to see other people and other people are very friendly and want to talk to other people and you just have to to play that by ear and like you said let people know you're there you know a wave or a nod sometimes is all it takes and you'll you usually get a pretty good indication if they want to talk or if they would like you to keep moving and just you know respect their right to, to privacy and time in the woods as much as yours um, i i don't really agree with people claiming a point of woods and telling you can't be there. But if it's their personal property, they have every right um, to expect no one else to be there. And in some cases, a lot of the woods around here is owned. Uh, so if you're, you're out there, you know, try to be somewhat aware of, of whose land it is and, and, and what it can be used for. Uh, it's, it's an important factor in the whole thing. There's, there are areas in the province where hunting isn't allowed. Oh, for sure. We have uh, several game sanctuaries, and anybody that has private property that posts no hunting, technically you should not be hunting on their property. But at yes. the same time, you should be trespassing on their property either without the landowner's consent. So on both sides of that coin, if you plan on going out in the woods somewhere, always get the land 
the property owner's consent. It'll just make things easier for you in the long run. Uh, Crown land kind of is open to anybody as long as there's no permanent structures erected and you're not destroying it. But, I mean, that's just, once again, be mindful and respectful of everything around you out there. Yeah. Yeah, and you follow simple rules, you know. You should be. For the most part, pretty safe. There's always risks in anything in the woods. Um, and, I mean, hunting itself has, has got its own risks. They spend a lot of time up, up in trees, in shelters, all that. So, you know, be mindful of that. Um, and uh, you, sh- you should, for the most part, be able to get out. The only other thing that maybe we can talk about is uh, Sundays. Most Sundays, there should not be guns. Uh you can check your traps and stuff, your snares. Yep, but, but it has to be restricted to low-caliber weapons and et cetera. Uh, but there are two Sundays in a yes. year when they are allowed to hunt. And yes. if memory serves, I was actually just pulling it up as you introed into it, so I haven't caught up to it yet. But um, I think what it is is it's the first and second Sunday after rifle season for deer opens. Um so deer season now open. That's why we brought the topic up. I believe the bow season started the second Monday in September. Just this Monday, which was the 23rd, crossbow and muzzleloader is now into that mix. And then the, what is it? The, the last Friday in October is when long gun season starts for deer. So the Sunday preceding that and the immediate one after there is still Sunday hunting allowed for those two Sundays. But after that, technically Sunday is supposed to be a day rest and there should not be any, shouldn't be any guns in the woods or bows or crossbows or any of that. It's supposed to be a no hunt day. But once again, people do weird things. So don't, don't assume that's true, but there should be a little added security into there. It, it, it's, it gives you a better chance of not coming across, especially if you're uncomfortable near guns. A lot of people are, and I mean, I think that's somewhat understandable. Mm-hmm. It, it can travel. I think a 22 can travel at one and a half miles and still be deadly. Oh, depending at this, there's a lot of physics that go into that, and there's a lot of fluke and luck that can go into that to make it more or less. So yeah. bottom line is most firearms will travel a great distance and still be lethal. Yeah. So, you know, and they're not accurate to that distance. There's a big difference between what they, they, you know, where they can reach and still be dangerous and where you can actually accurately shoot them and, and generally hit your target. But it doesn't matter if they aimed at you and hit you or they aimed at something else and just missed and it went over and hit you. You're still hit. Uh, the same thing as I said earlier before. There's no point in being right and dead. Uh Dead to right, I guess it's sort of the expression. Um, so, you know, that being careful with what you're doing. I mean, I, we have to hope that the hunter, the other guys is always the question in, in life. Uh, you sort of indicate that with the motorcycles too, right? Like it's the other vehicles that have always been most motorcycles vain, not themselves. Yeah, um, typically it's other drivers not seeing them or cutting them off. What in whatever aspect, yeah. it's it's generally somebody else because they weren't expected to be there. So as a bushcrafter or a camper or a hiker or anything like that, hunters don't expect you to be there. I know it seems kind of weird, 
but they don't expect you to be there. And that's what it comes down to. Now, a couple of good friends of mine that are hunters actually have told me multiple times that they never see anyone else in the woods but hunters uh, in, the, in, the, in the hunting season. And I know that shouldn't be true because I like to be – this is my favorite time of year. And I believe it's it's probably most bushcrafters' favorite time of year. You got the leaves changing. Uh, there's there's more. Uh, if you're into foraging, there's usually more forageable food in the fall than most of the year. Um, and it's shortly thereafter. There's virtually it's winter. It's it's yeah. Totally. Then you're into cold weather camping. So, this is your last chance, really, before you start into cold weather, and it's a really a big change in, in all your your gear and equipment and stuff. So, uh, so that's that's the, the our list, I think, covered. Yep, and I think the only thing I want to tack on to the end of that, just to close this whole segment out, is when can you expect people in the woods? And I just happen to have it up in front of me, and that's why I want to include it. So. The second Monday in September is when bow season starts and then it runs through and all the additional seasons open in between that. And I think it's the last day in March is the last day of rabbit season, if I'm not mistaken. Does that sound familiar to you, Ben? Yeah. So outside of that area, there should not be anybody with a rifled firearm in the woods. You're still allowed to carry a shotgun all year round. Uh, A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Any shotgun with three shells or less and using a non-solid projectile, I think is what the wording is, so it can't be a slug. You're allowed in the woods all year round to hunt with those for coyote and, believe it or not, bullfrog and a few other species that are literally harvestable all year round. They're fo- they fall into the other harvestable wildlife if you happen to pull up the, um, the regulations. Uh, now, long gun season ends the second Saturday... Nope, sorry, first Saturday in December. Uh, that's when the long gun, long rifled guns should be out of the woods. Um, but don't take that to heart. Some people like to sneak a few extra days in and I've heard stories and things like that. You know, oh, I had a deer there yesterday. I'm going to push it one more day and hope for the best. It's illegal. I get that. But once again, no sense being dead right. Uh, and then after that, you're into small game. Mostly it's going to be rabbits. And I think there might be an additional season in there for bear snaring and trap lines, which all should be close range stuff, but still just something to keep in mind for those that aren't familiar with all the seasons and regulations and things like that. And every problem, like we're, you're, the numbers you listed there are, are for Nova Scotia, I believe. Yes. Uh, we are Atlantic bushcraft adventures. So I'm going to throw out there like Newfoundland in there. I believe there's a spring bear hunt in Newfoundland. Yes. I believe there still is now too, as well. Uh, so you could potentially come across long guns in, in spring. Um, I don't know the dates, uh, look them up. I mean, every year you have to look them up, really, and, and see what what is there. It may not even be every year. Some years they may decide not to do the spring hunt. But, uh, you know, depending on where you're to and what you're doing, just be aware of what the seasons are in your area, what you may see. Ask local people, you know, sometimes, especially smaller communities, everyone knows who's hunting and generally about where they're hunting to. So That's just it. Where I go to hunt? Everybody knows me when I'm going through. They're like, oh, yeah, there's Rob going with the bow. And I think I've told you the stories before. I'm out more for a walk than actual hunting. I've gone hunting twice and forgot the arrows. So that tells you how how good of a hunter I am or how how strong-willed to hunting I am. I like yeah. to hunt, but, I mean, it's it's more of a nature walk for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And as you can Just see, the bow's in the background there. Yeah. 
Sometimes it's just an excuse to be out there. And that's um, all it is for me. It's just another reason to commit to go to the woods most times. Yeah, I use fishing for the same thing. Sometimes I don't care if the, if the hook ever hits the water. Well, it's just because yeah. you didn't have your pepperonis or your pepperettes. Well, those things are awesome, man. Like, I have a pack in my backpack now. I am sold on the pepperettes. And they don't need to be refrigerated. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> But uh, we are coming up on 40 minutes. We did include a little additional information in there. So is there anything you want to say to close that out, Ben? No, that's that's pretty good. I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, like everything, you know, get out there, enjoy it, be safe, uh, be aware of what's what's going on. Uh, that's That covers it. Perfect. Same for me. Get out there, have fun, get dirty, but be safe. Read your regulations. Get yourself familiar with uh, the time of year you're going to be going out. And that goes for any time of year. And this is just something that happens at this time of year. So out there, have fun, play safe. Have a good night, everyone.